0: It's Thursday, September 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Good news when it comes to the treatment of COVID-19. Studies involving 1,700 patients showed that deaths were significantly reduced by the use of steroids, raising hopes that cheap and widely available drugs could become standard treatments for severe cases of coronavirus. The steroids helped in dampening an overactive immune system, Joseph Walker, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, as the pandemic worked its way through the United States, Hawaii had a handle on its cases early on. Recently, however, case counts and hospitalizations have started to creep up as a result of complacency by residents and a lack of preparation by officials. Quarantine measures for travelers are still in place, and the opening of the state has continued to be delayed. Alice Miranda Olstein, healthcare reporter at Politico, joins us for what happened to Hawaii. Finally, President Trump's new pandemic advisor has been pushing a controversial herd immunity strategy that has some public health experts worried. Dr. Scott Atlas, who has no background in infectious diseases, has pushed to reopen the economy and let the virus spread through the general population while only protecting our most vulnerable. Yasmin Abutaleb, reporter for the Washington Post, joins us for the herd immunity plan. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: Patients who received these drugs uh, were hospitalized and had pretty bad condition, had their risk of death reduced by about uh, a third compared to patients getting either a placebo or just the usual standard of care. Joining
0: us now is Joseph Walker, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Joseph. It's my pleasure. There's some new studies involving a lot of different patients with COVID-19, and we're basically finding out that using steroids, corticosteroids, really helps in those that have very severe symptoms of COVID-19. And I think it reduces deaths by about a third. This is kind of a meta-analysis. So they're looking at a bunch of different studies and kind of compiling all the data together. But it's good news for being able to use very cheap steroids that we have available now to help prevent deaths in uh, some of the most severely ill. So Joseph, tell us a little bit more about what these studies are saying.
1: Back in June, there was a United Kingdom study that found that dexamethasone, which is uh, one of these generic steroids, has been around since the 60s. It's very cheap, it's widely available. Doctors are really familiar with it. And this UK study found that the use of this drug in hospitalized patients who are very sick on ventilators reduced deaths by about a third. This is back in June, and this is a big surprise, a really welcome surprise, because it was the first drug found to significantly reduce deaths in COVID 19. And so That was really sort of a bit of a shift in sort of the thinking about how to use these drugs and what drugs to use. But there were still sort of some questions lingering around how robust these data were. It's just one study. These results really need to be confirmed. And so today what we have is a bunch of doctors and scientists convened by the World Health Organization, analyzed seven different studies using a whole bunch of different corticosteroids and found... Really consistent results across all, of, and essentially that patients who received these drugs uh, were hospitalized and in pretty bad condition, had their risk of death reduced by about uh, a third compared to patients getting either a placebo or just the usual standard of care. So it really confirms those earlier results and also opens up the use of many more corticosteroids, not just dexamethasone.
0: And the reason why they say this helps out, because they're anti-inflammatory drugs, They say that it dampens the effects of an overactive immune system. So a lot of times you had been hearing about this cytokine storm where your own immune system is going haywire trying to fight off the infection and it's doing more bad than good. So they're saying that these steroids help out in that area.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we've talked about the cytokine storm thing before. And actually, one of the doctors I was speaking with for the article today is saying that well, these cytokines, these proteins that are involved in the uh, immune in the, in the immune response, are sort of part of the problem here you think it's not just these cytokines, it's a whole bunch of different things going on with the immune system and that may be why these steroids are having a beneficial effect because they're sort of blunt instruments, they sort of dampen the immune system broadly, they're not very specific and that's one of the reasons why doctors have been a little bit reluctant to use them. But it seems like that sort of broad, blunt effect is maybe why they're having such a benefit in these patients where their immune systems are just going crazy. You're going haywire. And usually your immune system is the thing that you're counting on to fight the virus. And in this case, it's just doing way more than you needed to. And it's actually turning on yourself, sort of like friendly fire, as one of the doctors we talked to uh, put it.
0: So far, we don't really have any drugs that have been proven effective to treat the earliest stages of COVID-19. So in the guidance, this is really only for the sickest patients. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of times people that might be on ventilators. And they're also recommending that this not be used for milder cases even.
1: So COVID, as you all know, it's a tricky virus, right? So we think that there are different stages of the disease, right? In the earliest stages, when you want your immune system to kick in and and sort of get rid of the virus, it doesn't work as well as we want it to. And then after time, the immune system starts working way more than we want it to, right? And so what this guidance is saying is that in those earliest stages, when you want the immune system to kind of kick in, you want to avoid these steroids because they, in that stage, might actually have a harmful effect, right? It'll be dampening your immune system when you want it to kill the virus and really to wait until you're sort of in these later stages of the disease when it would be helpful.
0: Joseph Walker, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having
0: me. You know, we'll see what the numbers are. We do anticipate increased number of cases. We'll be able to hopefully present it in a way that you can tell uh, who is part of the search testing
2: uh, and who is not. Joining
0: us now is Alice Miranda Olstein, Healthcare reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Alice. Absolutely. Thank you wanted to talk about Hawaii throughout the coronavirus pandemic. They started off very well. The case number was very low of coronavirus, but just very recently, the numbers have started to go up. There really has been a kind of seesaw effect with the way they've opened stuff, closed things, and obviously the effect that it's having on the economy since they're heavily reliant on tourism has been all over the place. So, what is going on with Hawaii? As I mentioned, they started off so well and things have gotten worse since the summer began. So, what's going on there with Hawaii?
2: So, just a few months ago, Hawaii had the fewest cases per capita in the whole country. They obviously have some geographic advantages. It's easier to close your borders and know who's coming in when you are an island in the middle of the ocean than easier than other states. So, they took a lot of precautions early on, and it really paid off, and their case count was extremely low. And then they did not use that time period to build up the testing and contact tracing infrastructure necessary for a surge, and inevitably a surge came. Once businesses reopened, people gathered together again. It really took off over the July 4th weekend, People not wearing masks, people gathering together, and the state didn't have enough testing and contact tracing services and the workforce needed, and now they're scrambling to build it up now. The Surgeon General flew all the way there to open up a testing site, a surge testing site, and now they're scrambling to contain things, and a lot of officials there and folks we talked to in the health world say, this could have been avoided if we did this preparation ahead of time rather than doing it after things have gotten this bad.
0: It's kind of the same tale that we saw throughout the country, various states who started off well, then they got complacent and the public kind of got complacent as well. Nobody really prepared for that second wave or another surge. And then, boom, you're hit with a bunch of rising cases. So in Hawaii, as you mentioned, one of the biggest things was the contact tracing effort. They said the state needs about 400 contact tracers. They have about 100. So I know that's been one of the biggest points of contention there.
2: Definitely. And so they are hiring more now, trying to build that out now, train people. But again, this this is challenging work and it takes time to hire and train people. And the frustration a lot of folks communicated to us is that we could have known ahead of time that this would have been necessary and done this preparation work when cases were low and we had a little breathing room instead of doing it now once we're really under the gun.
0: So what were some of the other points that went wrong from my reading in the article? The administration got a little complacent and what they did though, was they started opening up some of this indoor dining stuff, the salons before doing things in outdoor spaces, like opening up some of the beaches and hiking trails. So they kind of did it opposite.
2: The public health experts I talked to were really baffled by this. And this has been an issue in other States as well. So the virus spreads most easily in enclosed environments. If we're in a restaurant indoors talking and eating, it's much easier for it to spread and for people to get infected than in outdoor spaces where the air is circulating and the virus can disperse and the sunlight helps as well. And yet Hawaii opened up, people could go to malls and restaurants and nail salons before they could go to some of the beaches and parks and hiking trails. And this is just the opposite of what public health guidance recommends.
0: What has been the response from Governor David Ige? I know he is still saying, well, you know, we did uh, a lot of good things for the state. You know, our numbers are low and still relative to the the country. The numbers are very low there. But uh, Mm -hmm. he kind of threw it on the public, saying they got complacent. And as you mentioned earlier, Fourth of July was a big one. Everybody went out and started partying.
2: Additionally, some state leaders have said no amount of contact tracing could have prevented this the response from the public health community is yes, but it could have massively helped. I mean, every time you contact someone and say you were exposed, please stay home, that breaks the chain of transmission and prevents it from spreading even further. And so even if there would have been some surge due to 4th of July and people getting complacent and not wearing masks, contact tracing always helps. So yes, but I think it is very telling. This is sort of breaking news, the head of the health department just resigned one day after our story ran. He's been there for decades, and he just retired. So I think that is a sign that there is somewhat of a reckoning around the state officials response to this.
0: So what kind of restrictions do they have right now? Because I know for a long time, they were doing the, you know, if you arrived into the state, you had to do a 14 day quarantine. Early on, they did lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. It seems like they have some of those in place again, I think.
2: So they're putting them in place just for Oahu, where it's the worst right now. But it could extend to the other islands, depending on how things go. So there is a new stay-at-home order there. Bars are closing. And like you said, the economy is so heavily dependent on tourism that folks are really suffering there. The unemployment rate is in the double digits, and... The date for reopening to tourism keeps getting pushed back further and further as these outbreaks are getting worse and hospitalizations are way up. And even though the state has had a very low number of deaths throughout the pandemic, a big chunk of those have happened in the last couple of weeks, which is a very troubling sign.
0: Alice Miranda Olstein, healthcare reporter at Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. those who are not at risk to be to die or have a serious hospital requiring illness we should be fine with letting them get infected generating immunity on their own and the more immunity in the community the better we can eradicate the threat joining us now is Yasmin Abu Talib reporter at the Washington Post thanks for joining us Yasmin thanks for having me There's a new doctor on the coronavirus task force. His name is Dr. Scott Atlas. He's a neuroradiologist from Stanford's conservative Hoover Institution. And he's been pushing for a herd immunity strategy. And a lot of public health officials are kind of worried about the way he's approaching it and the way he wants to go through it. Basically, he wants to open things up, open up the economy, get kids back in school, and let the coronavirus kind of work its way through the population. He he does want to... Uh, protect our most vulnerable population, people in nursing homes, older people, and things like that. But he basically wants everybody to kind of achieve this herd immunity by just letting coronavirus work its way. As I mentioned, a lot of people are concerned about this. So Yasmin, tell us a little bit more about what this strategy looks like. So
3: this strategy basically says you let the population essentially go back to life as normal. So, no lockdown orders, no real social distancing measures. You basically have people go out and about and you sequester and protect the most vulnerable. So, nursing homes, prisons, you know, where people are, are tightly packed and congregated, whoever else might be the most vulnerable. The problem with that strategy is you're making a trade off in that reopening and having life go back to some semblance of normal you have that and then you trade off having many, many more deaths than you would otherwise through stringent public health measures. So back of the envelope calculations in the United States, at a minimum, it would be hundreds of thousands of more deaths if not more than that. Um, it could be up to 2 million deaths before the US reaches some level of herd immunity. So the other problem with it is that it's not really practical to isolate the vulnerable population from a younger healthier population because a lot of these people live in the same household. It's a really contagious virus so once it spreads among one population it's going to get into another and we still don't know who is vulnerable to coronavirus. There are indications of who is the most vulnerable but there are plenty of instances of otherwise young, healthy people having long-term consequences from the disease.
0: Dr. Scott Atlas does not have a background in infectious diseases or epidemiology. As I said, he's a neuroradiologist, but he's been advocating that we take this model that Sweden has used. But Sweden itself, you know, they have a pretty high infection and a death rate when compared to throughout the world. Sweden is not a model that public health
3: experts point to as a way to manage the coronavirus. It has, like you said, among the highest infection and death rates in the world. The other thing is the strategy of herd immunity did not save the country from the economic consequences. It's actually had one of the worst economic recoveries among countries in Europe. So it didn't really work in either way. And the other thing that this advocating of Sweden's strategy doesn't take into account is there was a significant portion of Sweden's population that social distanced and self-isolated anyway. So it's likely it didn't spread nearly as much as it would have if people hadn't taken those precautions themselves.
0: A little bit more on Dr. Atlas, because he's kind of positioning himself as the anti-Dr. Fauci. Um, you know, he was brought on the coronavirus task force, but he his views do align more with the president. Let's get the economy coming back. And, you know, basically saying that, you know, there's a lot of other things happening health wise because the economy hasn't come back. People are avoiding doctor's visits, things like that. So his views do align with the president a little bit more and trying to get the economy going. And so this is kind of his position on the task force now.
3: His views, you know, advocating more in line with what the president wants to hear and what he wants to do has given him more influence in the White House than the other doctors, including Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. I mean, he meets with Trump nearly every day, which is way more than any other health official meets with him. And the president brought him in because he wanted to bring in a medical advisor who would argue a point of view that was different than what Burks or Fauci was telling him, which in a lot of cases he views as too draconian, whether it's, mask mandates or partial lockdowns um, in areas that are experiencing surges of the virus and continuing these public health measures that I think he's shown pretty clearly he wants to move on from.
0: So the goal, obviously, is to get to herd immunity so that the coronavirus isn't moving through the population so fast anymore. He has argued that certain areas, some of the hardest hit areas early on in the pandemic, New York, Chicago, New Orleans, might have already reached that herd immunity. What do we know about that?
3: There really isn't enough evidence to say whether these places have reached herd immunity levels. And the argument that Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci have been making internally is that even in these places where maybe someone makes the argument that they've reached a herd immunity level, when they reopen too quickly, the infections peak back to where they were at the worst of the outbreak in the first round. And I think the other thing to note about this concept of herd immunity is the coronavirus has only been around for eight or nine months now. So we're still learning a lot about it. And one of the things that is still not entirely clear is even if you have coronavirus and you develop antibodies to it, how long that protects you against reinfection of the disease. Um, It's not clear whether the antibodies last for a sufficiently long amount of time that you're permanently protected from the infection. There are anecdotal instances of people getting reinfected. There's still not enough evidence to know just how common that is. But again, these are things we still don't know.
0: We just had two recent stories, one in Hong Kong where a 33-year-old man was said to have been reinfected, and then in Nevada – a uh, 25-year-old man who was supposedly reinfected. So, as you mentioned, it's only been going on for a few months. So, if they're reinfected already, who knows how far even herd immunity would take us there? And I, I guess they need about 70% of the population to have gotten the virus to achieve this number.
3: Exactly. You know, estimates range as far as 20% to 70%. There is a WHO official who estimated it would have to be around 65 to 70% given how contagious the virus is. On the lower end, it might be more around 50%. Either way, it's a large, large portion of the population that would have to get this infection before you actually had herd immunity level. And I think the thing to note about Sweden is even though they've been doing this experiment for several months, there have been a couple research papers put out recently that basically say the country appears nowhere near a herd immunity level, and that's after several months.
0: Yasmin Abu Talib, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks so much for having
0: me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.